In case you haven't heard, it's a new day here at First Baptist Church of West Albuquerque. We have a new senior pastor for those of you who uh, are visiting with us who weren't aware of that. Uh, We're looking forward to what the Lord has in store for us. And uh, like anyone else that we could have called, um, he's unlike anybody that we've ever called to be our pastor, the pastor of First Baptist Church of West Albuquerque. He's going to lead us in ways that we have never been led before. In, In fact, that makes him just like every one of us in that uh, we're all different. We are all unique. I don't know if you knew this about yourself, but you are the only you that God has ever made. And our our pastor, our senior pastor, is the only Stephen Baum that God has ever made. And God is going to use him and he's going to use us to work together uh, in the days ahead to do things that no other church can do because we are unique as a church. There is no church like First Baptist Church of West Albuquerque. And it's, it's exciting just to, to anticipate what different thing God is going to do uh, in and through us in the days ahead. As we begin this new chapter in the life of our church, I want us to turn together to the book of Ephesians. The best way to find that is go to your table of contents. It's in the New Testament. See what page that's on and turn to the book of Ephesians, which is actually a letter. It's it's a long letter, probably longer than any letter that you would ever write. But uh, it's a letter. The We have a copy or a translation of the copy that ended up in Ephesus. Many uh, Bible scholars believe that uh, this was actually written to a lot of churches, and uh, it kind of just had a blank where it said to the saints in Ephesus, and uh, the church in Colossae might have gotten one, the church in Hierapolis and Laodicea, and, and all the different churches in the province of Asia would have gotten the same letter But it was directly relevant to those churches uh, in the first century. So those churches back then, it was directly relevant to them. But the mere fact that it has been miraculously preserved for us all these 20 hundred years since that time and we all, we have it in our hands. We're going to be flashing it up on the screen. The mere fact that we still have it today, I think, speaks to the fact that it is relevant to us. And I think we're going to see that uh, in just a moment. The letter is, was divided a few hundred years after it was written into six chapters and, you know, a bunch of different verses. Uh, it could have been divided, if I would have done it, uh, I would have divided it into two sections, you know, part one and part two. Part one is the first three chapters 
part two is the last three chapters. And in part one, Paul says, he, he describes all that we have experienced, all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. How he, it is by his grace through our faith that we've been saved. And then not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any of us should go around bragging, hey, look at what I did. Uh, and God, he talks about how God has brought us alive spiritually. We were dead, unable to do anything for ourselves. He brought us alive spiritually and he brought us together. Uh, which is kind of amazing when you really think about it, because just think about how different we are. And, and you, you can look at all the different churches and, you know, they're, it's, they're full of people who are so different from each other in so many ways, yet God brings us all together into a single body, in our case, known as First Baptist Church of West Albuquerque. So that's part one, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, the first three chapters. Part two, the last three chapters, begins uh, in chapter four of the book of Ephesians, chapter four, verse one. In many of our translations, it begins with the word, therefore. Now, you probably know Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you want to see what it's there for, right? Therefore, Paul is calling our attention to everything that he just said to us. He talked about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, this is, uh, you know, when he's imprisoned in Rome awaiting trial before Caesar, which takes place at the end of the book of Acts. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. Amen. And then the, the, the next three chapters, Paul describes that one thing after another in great detail of what is involved in walking worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, I've already shared with you in past weeks how uh, that verse and the next two, verses two and three, really is what guided us as a pastor search team uh, as we sought to work together to carry out the assignment that you uh, gave to us. Uh, it, it didn't come naturally. We had to work at it. It required some effort, as it requires some effort of any team in the church or committee or ministry or the church as a whole. Paul says, I therefore urge you, walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience. I like the word long-suffering. Because that's what happens when we're patient. We, we sometimes we just have to suffer for a long time putting up with each other. Accepting one another in love. Diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us together. Now that's the first thing 
that Paul says is involved in uh, walking worthy of the calling that we have received. You know, the rest, the rest of the book, he, he explains all that's involved in it. But halfway through part two, now remember, it's three chapters long. So a chapter and a half into part two, which would be chapter five, verse 15, Paul gets to the heart of his argument, really to the nitty gritty. When he says in verse 15, pay careful attention then, pay careful attention then, because this is important, to how you ought to walk. And you know he's talking about how you ought to live your life. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Uh, I, yeah, I know you we're not supposed to use this word, Kathy, but uh, don't be stupid. Okay? That's what he's saying here. Making the most of the time, because the days are evil. Now, I told you that this is as relevant to us today as it was to them back then. They, back then, the days were evil. They're still pretty bad, aren't they? Maybe, maybe they're, they could be even worse in some ways. So don't be foolish, verse 17, but understand what the Lord's will is. Oh, great. You know how that works. Sometimes it, it takes months and maybe even years on your knees praying and studying the Scripture and listening to each other and trying to hear the voice of God. God, what are you saying to me? What is your will for my life? And sometimes it takes years to figure it out. But sometimes it's a no-brainer which is the case here because because Paul tells us in the next verse what God's will is for every one of our lives. And uh, I promise you it'll keep you busy for a, for a lifetime. Verse 18, he he gives us a positive and then he he states it in a, uh or he gives us states it in a negative way and then a positive way. First of all, don't get drunk with wine. Uh, now, you know that happens when you fill yourself full of wine. Or, you know, specifically, uh, the alcohol uh, in the wine which, which affects you. And, you know, the, the more filled you are, uh, the drunker you are, the more that alcohol is controlling your behavior. Paul says don't do that. And I think he would say that about wine or uh, hard liquor or uh, any other uh, mind-altering drug or any other substance that, that takes away from us being all that God wants us to be. Paul says don't do that. Don't let anything or I think he would include anyone take, take control of your life instead Look at what he says there. Be filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with anything or anyone, make sure it's the Holy Spirit of God. When you are 
filled with the Spirit. There is no room in the throne room of your life for anything or anyone other than the Holy Spirit of God. And when He's the only one who's on the, in the throne room of your life, He's gonna totally, you, you are gonna be totally controlled by Him. Okay, now the next three verses, uh, in the Greek, which is what Paul wrote it in, is, uh, is actually a series of participles which describes what happens when you're obedient to the command. The command, which I, I want you to write down, it, you know, in your worship guide up at the top before those blanks that we'll fill in in a minute. The command is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is my message for you this morning. To be filled with, controlled by the Holy Spirit. The next three verses is a, uh, in the Greek, a, a series of participles that describes what happens when we do that. You know, they're not things that we need to think about doing. They are things that we will do. We won't be able to help ourselves. When we are filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, we will find ourselves, look at verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. When you are filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, that's what's going to happen in your life. If, if you never see those things happening in your life, you would do well to, to take a look at your life and see who it is that's in control of your life because chances are real good it's not the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I would love <laughs> to talk to you about those first few participles. But where I want us to hang our hat this morning is verse 21 where Paul says when you're filled with the Holy Spirit you will find yourself submitting to one another in the fear of Christ in the fear of Christ we're supposed to be afraid of them you know what when, when I see that I think you know Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I know that sometimes He loves me so much, He'll turn me over His knee and give me a spanking every now and then. And that ought to, you know, I ought to be afraid of that. I shouldn't want that in my life. To submit means to yield of yourself voluntarily uh, for the good of others. To give up some of what you, you may be entitled to for the benefit of others. It does not mean to give control of your life 
to anybody else and to allow them to dominate you and do with you as you please. Uh, That's not what submission means. Submission means that you give the only one who uh, we call Lord, you give him total control of your life. And when you do, you're going to care about other people like he does. When you're full of his spirit, you're going to want what's best for others. Uh, just like, just like he does. You're going to ask yourself that question. What is it that I can do to help one another, my brothers and sisters in Christ experience all that God wants for them to be, to become more and more like Jesus each and every day? And then that's what you're going to do. One another. How can you help one another? Folks, when, when everybody in, in the church is doing that for everybody else in the church, it's a sight to behold. <laughs> but you know as well as I do, sometimes we struggle with that because you know, it just doesn't come naturally for us. And sometimes the object of the, or the person that we're trying to do that, you know, they make it difficult uh, for us. It is easier said than done. In fact, sometimes it is just, yeah, you can call it impossible. Apart from the indwelling of the Spirit of God, who alone can enable us to do that which He wants us to do, which is why he says, be filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, this morning, I want to remind you that one another includes certainly everybody in this room. One another. But it also includes that guy right over there and includes the man that we called a senior pastor last week who's taking a break. So he's ready to be here and and get get after it uh, this coming Lord's Day. Not long ago, I came across a list of commitments that... Some Southern Baptist churches have explicitly made, in writing, mind you, to their pastors. And it struck me that they were the sort of promises that spirit-filled churches would make to their pastors. Now, this is, you, you got your pen? This is, we're going to fill in some blanks real quick. I'll try not to go too fast, but we're going to try to go through it real quick. Here's just a few of those commitments, those promises that spirit-filled churches would make to their pastors. We will be loving and gracious to you and your family. In other words, we're we're going to treat you just the same way we are going to treat everybody else in the church. We will pray 
for spiritual power in your life and ministry. We will respectfully relate to you as God's anointed leader for our congregation. Anointed leader. We will support your leadership with active participation in the church's ministries. Here's a novel one. We will talk with you about personal concerns about talk with instead of talking about you to others. And we will free you to do the ministries to which you are called as we do the ministries to which we are called. In other words, uh, pastor, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do what God has called us to do so you don't have to worry about it. You can concentrate on what God wants you to do. There's a seventh one that I think I'd like to add to that list. And I, th- I think God's word adds to that list, and it's in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. We will do Hebrews thirteen seventeen, which says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account to God. Do this so that their joy, their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that wouldn't be of any benefit to you. And it wouldn't be much of a benefit to the lost and dying world around us that we are commanded to uh, be a lighthouse and a love house for Jesus. Paul says, have confidence in those that he had confidence in enough to call us pastors Have confidence in the leaders, your leaders, and submit to their authority. Let me tell you what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you need to just become their puppet and and just do everything that they tell you to do. And when they say jump, you jump. Uh, that would be to make them Lord. There's only one Lord, and it's not, it's not him or, uh, or Danny. In fact, pastors are explicitly in God's Word. I think it's in, in one of the Peter letters. Uh, commanded not to lord it over the congregation. So that, that's, not, that's, that's not what it means. Respecting them, having confidence in your leaders, submitting to their authority means that you respect the fact that God holds them personally responsible and they are, they are uh, accountable directly to God himself for preaching and teaching the word of God. And it means that we are <laughs> personally responsible and directly accountable to God to listening 
carefully and, and considering prayerfully everything they, they say as they open up the Word of God week after week after week. I think a key verse that speaks to our responsibility is found over in Second uh, Corinthians. I'm going to try to find it here. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, where the Apostle Paul says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give of your time and energy and resources. You decide that you're responsible for deciding what to give of your time, your energy and resources, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me tell you what that means. When our pastors challenge and encourage us to do anything, we have a responsibility to God, who is our only Lord and Master, to decide for ourselves what of our time and energy and resources to give. And if the only way that we can give them is reluctantly or because we feel like we're being pressured or, and we, we feel like we have to because we're being pressured by our pastors to do them and we can't do it cheerfully, Paul says don't do it. We've we got to do it with the right attitude. Our pastor's job is to challenge and encourage us from God's Word. And you know that sometimes what he says is going to hit you square right between the eyes. And sometimes you know it just kind of, yeah, it's applicable, but a little bit different way, but it's directly applicable, more applicable applicable to somebody else. Our job is to do the hard work of prayerfully considering how to apply whatever it is God has laid on His heart to share from His from His Word. Our job is to consider what that means to us because, you know, we know better than anybody else what our capabilities are. We should know our spiritual gifts, our limitations, what else we've got going on in our lives, what else we've got on our plate. Our job is not to kick back like a stubborn mule every time our pastors encourage us to do something we don't want to do. Now, let me say something about what to do when you're overwhelmed with the urge to talk to rather than about your pastor in order to help him carry out the ministry that God has called him to. And there are those occasions. That's okay to do that from time to time. But when you get the urge to to help him do it in ways that you think he ought to carry it out. Well, first of all, I think we ought to remember the words of that great prophet, Mary Poppins, (laughs) who said, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. You want to be sweet about it. If your strategy for helping your pastor is charging in with both barrels and 
loaded for bear and raking him over the coals. About the only thing you're going to accomplish is him to do what, what comes naturally for you too, for every one of us. And that is to throw up the firewall immediately to protect himself. And you're only making him less likely to listen to you. In fact, next time he sees you coming, he may run in the other direction. You won't be making his ministry more joyful, but more of a burden, which is exactly what God prohibits us from doing in his word. There is a better way to do it. First, remember, you're not the only one with an opinion about him. Everybody has an opinion about their pastors. You may, you may think one thing about him and what he's doing, but somebody else might think something a little bit different. In fact, somebody else might think something entirely, totally opposite to what your opinion is. They, they have a totally opposite opinion. If you suggest one thing to your pastor and demand that he do it your way and they do the same thing and demand that he do it their way, what is he supposed to do? If he does one thing, he's going to make somebody, you know, he's going to make the other person mad. Truly wise pastors know what to do. They go running to the Lord. And they say, Lord, this is what I'm hearing. You know, maybe, you know, I, I, you know I'm, I'm considering it. What, what is it uh, in light of everything that I'm hearing? What should I do? And folks, whatever the Lord tells them to do, that's what they, they need to do. Because He's the Lord. And it may or may not have uh, be, be what you want them to do or what the other person wants them to do. But whatever they do, it ought to be okay with every one of us because in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is only one Lord. And it's not any of us. There's a second thing that we all need to remember. And this is really simple. This, this, this is just... Uh, we should understand this. Our pastors deal with the stuff related to their quote-unquote jobs day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. In many cases, they spend years, uh, you know, at least three years in graduate school, not college, postgraduate work in seminary doing postgraduate work, sometimes even longer than that, like our, like our pastor who's, who spent six years in seminary. The really smart ones keep learning and taking advantage of opportunities uh, as they continue to make their way through the ministry. At the same time, you hopefully are pretty knowledgeable about everything related to your own job and uh, that you deal with day after day, week after week, month after month. 
they probably have neither the knowledge nor the ability nor the experience to competently tell you how to do your job better. And you probably have neither the knowledge nor the ability nor the experience to competently tell them how to do their job better. Sometimes uh, we just need to remember the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. <clears throat> you, don't need, you, you can turn there, but, but you don't really need to. In fact, we can memorize it this morning. It's really very simple. Six words. Paul says, you should mind your own business. Sometimes. It's not to say that there's no way any of us can ever help our pastors. Because there are some things that, that uh, you can help them to prayerfully consider that they, they may not even, they may never have thought of. You may be aware of things that they need to consider in carrying out the ministry that God has given them. Just be sure that you do it in the right way. Jesus, over in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, said this. I think it's very important. <clears throat> Why do you look at the speck of sawdust, the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when all the time there's a plank in your eye? And then Jesus said, you hypocrite. Now, before you go around talk, calling people hypocrites, the only person in the Bible who ever called anybody a hypocrite was Jesus. He's the only one who's qualified to call anybody a hypocrite. Okay, because we all know that we've been there. He says, before you go taking the sawdust out of somebody else's eye, first take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So how do you know when you've done that well? Apply the Hebrews thirteen seventeen test. If after you've tried to help your pastor, you know he'll say, you know, my ministry is a whole lot, it's more of a joy than it was before you came in and talked to me. If they say... If they would say, they probably won't, but if they would say, you know, you've just piled on my load, it's more of a burden than it was before, then you didn't do it right. You need to go to God and ask Him to help you do better. You know, he can. 
You know how? By the power of his Holy Spirit in us. You see, when we are obedient to the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, he, he produces what is called in Galatians chapter 5, fruit of the Spirit. He produces. It's fruit of the Spirit, not fruit that we, that we produce. He produces fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And folks, when he does that in our lives and we bear it, we simply bear what he produces, (laughs) I promise you people are going to be impressed. They're going to notice. Because what we see out in the world, and unfortunately in too many churches, are what Paul calls the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, which include hatred and discord and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambitions and dissensions and factions and envy. Which of those lists would you like to see evident in our church? Duh. It'll happen only to the degree that each of us as individual members of this body ask the Lord to fill us with His Spirit and take control of our lives. The command is... You, I've got four fingers, point back here too, or three fingers. But it's you be filled with the Spirit. I know the way it works. You know, we, we hear pointed sermons like that and, and, and we think about, boy, yeah, yeah, so-and-so needs that. He says, you. You think you concentrate on yourself. You be filled with the Spirit. We need to be, we need to look at ourselves and ask God where we are with Him and how much He is in control of our lives. And when we are filled with the Spirit of God, this place will be full of the Spirit. It will be the lighthouse and the love house that Jesus wants us to be in this community. Let's pray together. Lord, I don't even want to talk. But oh, I want you to speak to each one of us, each of us this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'll give us a holy determination and courage 
to say yes to whatever it is you're saying to us. Oh, it may be yes to the invitation to eternal life. There may be some who are here who who have never experienced the life that is found only in He who is the way and the truth and the life. Lord, I just pray that uh, as you've been dealing with them for days or weeks or even months, I just pray that you'll help them to today finally say yes to you. It may be to some of us to, to rededicate our lives to you, to recommit ourselves to you as we enter this new phase in the life of our church, to be your kind of church member, the kind that is pleasing to you. It may be to join this church in the way that we receive members. Lord, speak to those who you want a part of this, to be a part of this body. Speak. We want to listen and we want to respond to you this morning. It's our prayer in Jesus' name.